I'll start with prayer and then we can uh, kind of dig in. Father, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to um, to learn about about you and uh, specifically uh, how you've revealed yourself to us. We thank you that you have in so many ways. Um, and we just pray that this would be a fruitful time where we would learn uh, learn about you and, and uh, about each other and about ourselves. We thank you for uh, this church. We pray that you'd be with the folks uh, leading worship, that you'd be with them and that <clears throat> your spirit would be present uh, today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, so I got the, the intro class. Uh, so this is gonna be kind of an overview of, uh, of the, uh, the scripture class. So we're talking about the Bible for 13 weeks. Um, intro, so we have books. So the book that we're kind of um, basing this off of is by Derek Thomas, a little small book called The Bible, God's Inerrant Word. There are copies for family units, so one copy for each family unit. And then also, and I didn't know, I didn't use this to prepare, but How Do You Read the Bible by J.C. Ryle is also available, one, one per family unit. So if you want that. And then there's a bigger book, a larger book, that as I was preparing, seems like these guys uh, compared notes by Ferguson from the mouth of God, which is kind of a little bit more in depth uh, than the shorter book by Thomas. So three books, two are available, and the third you can get on Amazon or whatever you want to. So we're going to be talking about scripture and doing a really deep dive into that. So it's a big topic, but we're going to do it. So the teachers for this class are um, Sheldon, who uh, is kind of leading the class, uh, myself, Danny, Dave, and Jeremy Moritz. We're going to cover lots of different topics, so we're going to take this, this diamond of scripture and kind of look at it from lots of different angles. So this today is just going to be kind of an introduction um, to that. We're going to talk about God using words. So he chose to reveal himself with words. We'll talk a little bit about that uh, at the end. We're going to talk about progressive revelation. So the idea that he did, he revealed himself in scripture uh, over time and in different ways. Um, the idea of inspiration. So the breath of God, 2 Timothy 3. Um, the idea that, that uh, the Bible, the scripture is inspired and it has authority and self-authentication. Sorry, my words, we'll get there. Um, we'll talk about authorship, the idea that God spoke through men, through humans, um, but that there's a, there's a divine aspect to the authorship of, the, of Scripture. We'll talk about the role of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about the canon, so how did we get the 66 books of the Bible that we would affirm our, our Scripture um, according to... Um, our, uh, the London Baptist Confession. We'll talk about inerrancy, so transmission and transcription of scripture, so how that is without error. Uh, we'll talk about interpretation, so how do we interpret scripture? Um, the Bible is made up of different styles. Some it's historical, some it's narrative, some it's poetic. How do we uh, interpret them, those writings? Some are very clearly written, uh, you know, Ephesians is a very clearly written scripture. Revelation is not as clearly written, so it's literal versus figurative and uh, some of that. Uh, so we'll spend time talking about that. <clears throat> We're going to talk about perspicuity, uh, which is one of my topics in October, or the clarity of scripture. So the idea that scripture is not always clear in all parts. So like I mentioned with interpretation, sometimes 
it takes a little bit of digging. So scripture is not equally clear to everybody, but we would affirm that scripture is clear enough so that everybody is everybody can know how salvation occurs. So we can we can say there's clarity there, but there are some parts of scripture that are not as clear. So the idea of intellectual knowledge about what scripture is saying in all the minute parts versus the information that's necessary um, for salvation. So the gospel is clear in scripture, clear enough for anybody to understand it. Um, we'll talk about the central mes message of scripture, God, man, the plan of redemption, the, the unfolding of scripture. And then we're gonna talk at the end about application of scripture. So how do we apply scripture appropriately? Um, so the first question is, how does God speak to us? Obviously, in Scripture, we're going to spend 13 weeks talking <laughs> about this, but how, how else does God speak to us? I mean, through the Holy Spirit. Okay. Through the Holy, through the Holy Spirit. This thing needs to be more fun. Through the revelation of His Son. Revelation of His Son. Okay, good. Wasn't that the entire class we just finished, so ordinary means of grace? Yeah, ordinary means of grace, yeah. So God has given us uh, means to know Him better and to grow in, in grace, yeah. <clears throat> and then we would, so we would kind of um, talk about how God speaks to us in terms of revelation. Uh, and so we, we're actually in the men's, there's a men's group that meets on Tuesday, every second and fourth Tuesday, that's going through Burkhoff's uh, Manual of Christian Doctrine. And the last two sessions have been on revelation and then scripture. So I've kind of taken some notes from, from that uh, class. But... Uh, the idea that God speaks to us through revelation and that revelation is generally um, broken down into natural revelation and special revelation. Um, and so we're going to talk through some of that. Um, I think what, how Thomas starts the book and his first quote, one of the big quote, first quotes he has is, Christians believe that God communicates to us through the Bible. Christians believe much more than that about the Bible, but they believe no less. So that's kind of orienting the idea that God has revealed himself in lots of different ways. And uh, he's revealed himself in through the Bible, but he's also revealed himself in lots of different ways outside of scripture. Um, so the first idea is the idea of natural or general revelation. So God speaks to us in creation. He created the world. He created us. Um, so there's the idea that God has initiated his revelation to us in the creation. So God created Genesis 1 through 3. He created. And we have other scripture that talk through that, that kind of point to this as well. So Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory, the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words, words to the end of the earth. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of heavens, of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So. The idea that the heavens are declaring, the creation is declaring that God is present 
He's the creator. And th- so the first part of natural revelation or general revelation is the idea that God reveals himself as, as, a, as a creator. And so we respond to that by externally seeing his creation. So that's what the psalmist is, what David is getting at in that psalm. But it's more than an external reality. Thomas also describes natural revelation as penetrating within us. So God created the world, but he also created us. And so natural revelation is more than just the greenery that we see and the low humidity and those <laughs> kinds of things. That those, those simple things that we experience, that's an external reality. And that t- testifies to God, um, but uh, there's also an idea that natural revelation is something that is inside of us as well, because he's created us too. And that the rest of the psalm, Psalm 19, talks about the external creation and then talks about God's law and God's commands. And so that, that natural revelation extends into um, into us and into our core being and consciousness, as Thomas puts it. And so the other, um, the other main scripture that we can point to when it comes to natural revelation um, is Romans 1, uh, 18 through 23. Does anyone have that? Can anyone pull that up and read that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. So this this takes that psalm and and makes it more personal. So the the psalmist starts with, the heavens declare the glory of God. God has revealed himself in creation, But God has also revealed himself to men individually to the point where Paul says that they are without excuse for this general revelation. So this is not this is he is not addressing uh, just Christians. He is addressing all people. So all people have been given general revelation. We would say that Christians have been given special revelation and uh, and we're we have we're on the hook for that special revelation, so to speak. But. Romans is talking about all men. All men have been, God has revealed himself in this world in creation and in the creation of people. And he's also revealed his divine attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. And they are clearly perceived since the creation of the world. And in that way, natural revelation goes deeper than just the beautiful trees, right? So God has revealed himself deeply to people. And so that's um, kind of the idea of natural revelation. So it's not just creation. It's more than that. Uh, And uh, the book talks about this. And I think uh, there's a couple of quotes 
um, and Ferguson kind of hits on this too. So they talk about this idea that we are not just spectators in natural revelation, but we're also participants. And so Calvin in the Institutes talks about the most beautiful theater of God's creation. And he talks about the idea that creation is God's, this is God's playground. This is God's theater for how he is unveiling himself. And, and so um, it's in uh, book one, for, uh, chapter 14. And then uh, the, they both quote Kuiper, Abraham Kuiper, uh, it says, if the cosmos is a theater of revelation, it is a theater man in which man is both actor and spectator. So the idea that we're not just watching, we're not just viewing God's revelation, but we are actually part of God's revelation, God's natural revelation. And so that leads us to thinking about special revelation. So we have natural revelation and special revelation, and these aren't like separate things. This is, B.B. Um, Warfield talks about this being kind of a state, like stages of revelation. This is a, we have natural revelation, and then within that, or as part of that, God additionally reveals himself in special revelation. And so the idea of special revelation is that it is, revelation that can't be understood by the senses or reason. So this is beyond what Paul is talking about in Romans 1. Um, he's th These are not just clearly perceived uh, revelation from God. This is an additional thing. So God is actively communicating to people. And that's what we would call special revelation. So... Uh, and this is uh, seen in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, the very opening of Hebrews. Long, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And so I think Thomas does a really good job of separating this out into kind of three, uh, three aspects of special revelation. He talks about special agents of revelation. He talks about special content. So what is the content that's in addition to the natural revelation? And then he talks about special delivery systems. Um, so when he talks about special agents, he's talking about the patriarchs, the prophets, and the apostles. So those, that, those groups of people that God specifically chose to reveal his special revelation through. So this is not, special revelation is not something that all people, we all benefit from special revelation, but not all people were participants in that special revelation. So God chose the fathers, so Abraham and Moses, and he chose prophets, and then in, uh, with, with Jesus, he chose apostles. So this is the idea of conduits of God revealing himself. We're not, ta we're not necessarily even talking about scripture yet. So these are, this is just God has revealed himself and he's used agents to do that. And so before pen was put to paper, so to speak, that there was a, there's an oral tradition that is how God initially uh, revealed himself in special revelation. Uh, so you have hundreds of passages throughout the Old and New Testament where there's, thus says the Lord, or God says, and this is God revealing himself through his conduits, these special agents, um, to uh, his people. And then there's special content. So 
I think Burkhoff does a really good job of breaking this down. Look at me saying a master theologian did a good job of something. Of course he did. Right? <laughs> uh, I like the way that Burkhoff uh, broke this down. He talks about revelation, special revelation. He says special divine operations. They served a fourfold purpose. So this is the content to correct and interpret the truths which are now gathered from general revelation. So God is revealing himself with special revelation to help us to clarify and correct his natural, how we perceive his natural revelation. So back to Romans when it talks about those invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature. So that, that the apostle is, is giving us special revelation in Romans 1 that helps us more clearly understand natural revelation um, or general revelation. The second is to illuminate man so he can once more read the handwriting of God in nature. So scripture or special revelation helps us to more clearly see God, God's natural revelation that's all around us and is in us. So what is this, what is this uh, tension that I have in my being when I sin? It's God is, is, has created me in a way that I have, um, I have guilt when I sin, right? And that's we get more clarity on that. Why do I feel that way? Well, we can read scripture and know that we feel that way because God has created us and he's changed our hearts if we're Christians um, to have a, a new disposition. The third is to furnish man with a revelation of God's redemptive love. So we'll talk about this in future sessions. So the idea that God is, is unveiling his redemptive plan through history and uh, that special revelation helps us to understand that better. Even though we're packed, we're on this side of Calvary, um, we have a we can have a better understanding. God can has revealed to us, so we have a better understanding of what what did it mean for the Israelite, uh, the the nation of Israel, to do what they did in the Old Testament. How does that progress to the New Testament to Christ? How does that point to Christ? Special revelation helps us to understand that better. And then the fourth uh, is to change his entire spiritual condition. So special revelation um, has a purpose to change a, a person's entire spiritual condition by redeeming him from the power of sin and leading him back to a life in communion with God. So the gospel, in essence. So special revelation is the gospel is being revealed to us. So that's why. Um, so that's that's the idea of special content. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Does anyone have questions or comments? Good. Um, the third part of special revelation. So we have special agents. We have special content. So it's in addition to the natural revelation, and then we have special delivery systems. And so that's, uh, we probably can get into a little bit of trouble with, with some of these uh, in, in some circles uh, in Christianity. But the main delivery systems, so how did God reveal himself in special revelation to his agents and give them the content for a special revelation? The first is manifestations of God, or theophanies is, is one way that it's put. And so there's different exp uh, uh, expressions of this in scripture. Mostly 
uh, in the Old Testament, but Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord appeared to um, Haggai. Uh, there's another instance where uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to uh, Abraham. Uh, so there's, there's instances of that. The idea of the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke that led Israel, there, this, these are instances where this is not an expression of a created angel. Uh, this is a manifestation of God. So God showed up in a very specific way and delivered a very specific message to his people. Um, and then obviously theophanies, the idea of manifestations of God, reached its fullest uh, um, conclusion or its fullest manifestation in the incarnation, in Jesus uh, coming. The, the more common, uh, or the most common delivery system for special revelation is direct communication. And this could be directly the voice of the Lord. So 1 Samuel 3, God was speaking to Samuel to tell him something. It was the voice of the Lord speaking. But more uh, commonly, visions and dreams and prophecy were the ways that God uh, communicated to uh, his special revelation to people. And the last one that um, Burkhoff mentions is miracles. Uh, so there is a sense in which special revelation can be um, can be communicated through miracles. So obviously the delivery systems can get warped, uh, right? So we, you know, we would believe, uh, according to the <clears throat> according to the um, the London Baptist Confession, that the canon is closed, that there's not additional special revelation that's occurring. So this is different than the Holy Spirit uh, convicting and working. So. Um, Special revelation is, is something that has happened, um, but is not still happening in the sense that the, we have a, a complete Bible. So we don't believe that there's new word, new direct communications from God um, in a sense, in the, in the, with the authority of this revelation. Thoughts, questions, comments? So I was talking to before class about a book that both of us read, I don't know, probably 20 years ago, 25, Under the Banner of Heaven by John mm -hmm. Krakauer. Have we ever read that? Heard of it? It's uh, the guy used to write for Outside Magazine. Not Christian, it's just a story of the Mormon church, and then more specifically, Mormon fundamentalists. So when you start thinking about adding to yeah. scripture, this guy found these golden tablets under a tree somewhere in the north, northwest, northeast, made his way, finally gets murdered in Missouri, uh, but starts the, the whole Mormon church. And in the Mormon church, the, the pastor, the leader of that, that group has more authority than the Bible. Yeah. So you start looking at how things get perverted by special revelation. Mm -hmm. He took that to heart and said, well, I've been revealed it. Native Americans are the, the next uh, section of the, the Israelites and he makes this whole church and starts making up stuff and you look at so why does why is that not special revelation yeah uh, versus the Bible why is it closed and you start looking at what was written and you start to realize the contradictions and everything is against <clears throat> scripture well it makes it fairly clear why it wasn't canonized 
because it's completely opposed to the rest of Scripture in many cases. Yeah, and I think we we would claim uh, we would our claims would be pretty unique for as Christians. You know, there are other religions that would would also have that kind of there's a there's a we we would sit under special revelation as a final thing that has occurred. Uh, whereas there are other faiths, Mormon faith, uh, there are other sects, uh, kind of offshoots of Christianity that would say there's an authority that's above special revelation, and that's how you can kind of get into the issues with additional special revelation coming out. Um, Islam is another faith where uh, there was this book was written down, you know, the Quran was 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 written, but parts of it are uh, have have been lost or parts of it have been added to and so we have kind of a unique um, claim that what was written in the canon those 66 books are kind of the final authority and we don't we don't add to that we interpret it we'll do that we'll talk about a lot of that stuff but there's no additions or subtractions and there's no authority watchtower society that's going to tell that's going to add things to what God has revealed in his special revelation. Um, and then, the obviously, the next revelation is, the, is Christ, so the incarnation. And so the rest of Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse 2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom all he created, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So this is the, the final revelation of God or the revelation of Christ is kind of the culmination of the special revelation. So God uh, had these special agents that he used to uh, illuminate uh, and, and give us special revelation, but the incarnation is kind of the, the final revelation. God revealed himself in the most tangible way he possibly could in Christ. The exact imprint is what Hebrew says. Here's a rabbit real quick. Yeah, 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 good. That, uh, that, um, the, the phrase, uh, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. I was watching stuff on the James Webb telescope and the theories behind the Big Bang and all that. I don't know if he gets into that, but it's fascinating to me with the pictures. Yeah, those pictures are amazing. Now. And they've, they've conceptualized that the beginning of the universe, the size is immeasurable. But because of the energy that created it, it was the size of like a baseball. And then when it exploded, it threw out into the size of the universe as, as far as I know. And I can't think of a better picture <laughs> of that baseball than in God's hand. And, and when he spoke, yep. it exploded and created all that we, we see and exist in. And to me, when I, they're all trying to figure it out, I can't think of anything but <laughs> God. I call it general revelation, if you will. Yeah. But that's God creating Absolutely. That, that universe and the idea of all of the universe being 
small enough to hold in your hand. Yeah. Uh, really hit me like, ah, yeah, they finally figured it out. They figured it out. I had, I, I, I can't remember who said it, but they were talking about folks, evolutionists that were looking into the Big Bang Theory and they were, you know, researching and all that. And, you know, all they needed to do was open their Bible because God spoke and it, and there creation is. was there. Yeah. yeah. Hebrews does a really good job, that, that beginning part of Hebrews, of tying together natural revelation and special revelation. The idea that Jesus created, he was, he was there at creation. He created the world. He spoke, uh, he spoke uh, the universe into existence by the word of his powers, that general revelation, that the creation. But then in verse 3b and 4, he talks about purification for sins and sitting down at the right hand of, of God um, and his status uh, in, that, in, that in that situation. So that's the, the culmination of special revelation is in the incarnation. Um, and uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6 is another verse that's, that's referenced. And it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So that, that connection between natural revelation, referencing back Genesis 1, let the light shine out of the darkness, and then finding that culmination in giving us, in our hearts, uh, the knowledge of the glory of God. And the knowledge of, glory, of the glory of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. So that brings us to Scripture. So... Up until now, we're not necessarily talking about like the written word. We're talking about creation and general revelation and what God imprints on our hearts in his creation of us. We're talking about the oral traditions and the oral history and how he revealed himself in special revelation with those agents and the content um, and the delivery systems that he used. And then um, the person of Jesus, the person of Christ, as the the fulfillment of, of special revelation, but then God, so God could have stopped there. And so in our conversation on Tuesday night, uh, last Tuesday night, uh, we talked about, well, what would it be like if God didn't reveal himself in special revelation, if we just had general revelation? And then the follow-up, the, the additional question, something Thomas mentions in the book is, God didn't need to give us actual scripture he has he revealed himself through special revelation in such a way that we have we can have a, a saving knowledge of him but he didn't stop there he actually gave us scripture he gave us his word he preserved his rev revelation in such a way that we can know him and pick up an actual book and read about read his special revelation to us and that is such a gift that we don't just have oral traditions and we don't just have um, things passed down like the nation of Israel did. We actually have it written down for us to access anytime we want to or on the phone or whatever. And so he actually directed his special revelation to be written down. And so we're going to spend the rest of this class talking about the details and aspects of that. Um, the, we talked uh, on Tuesday also about the confession. Um, so chapter one, the very beginning of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is similar to 
the Westminster Confession of Faith starts right off with Holy Scripture. And it says, The Holy Scripture are the only sufficient, certain, and infallible standard of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. The light of nature and the works of creation and providence so clearly demonstrate the goodness, wisdom, and power of God that people are left without excuse. Going back to Romans 1. However, these demonstrations are not sufficient to give the knowledge of God and his will that is necessary for salvation. So we have natural revelation, but that is not enough for us to understand God and understand salvation. Therefore, the Lord was pleased at different times and in various ways um, uh, to reveal himself and to declare his will to his church, to preserve and propagate the truth better and to establish and comfort the church with greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and the world, the Lord put his revelation completely in writing. Therefore, the Holy Scriptures are absolutely necessary because God's former way of revealing his will to his people have now ceased. So this is the idea that we have special revelation and God revealed himself in a, in a, in a way that, is, that gives us certainty um, and that that revelation has ceased. So there's a, there's a ceasing of the revelation. Um, thoughts on that? We're going faster than I expected. Very <laughs> efficient. Well done. Efficient. Yeah, that's it. Leona appreciates it too. Yeah. We can get down there in the next 15 minutes or so. <clears throat> awkward silence? I'm good with that. I'm a teacher, so I can do the awkward silence. <laughs> so the confession is, is really, it, it, there's lots of parts to chapter one. So that, that's just the first part. It talks about the canon as being a sealed canon. Uh, it talks uh, a little bit more about... Um, how God revealed himself, inspiration, a lot of the things that we're, we'll be talking about in this class for the rest of the, for the, rest of the, the fall. Um, but that's, that's kind of the, the main point. So when we think about scripture, um, I think it's important uh, to think about, um, so we have a closed canon and we've had a closed canon for a long time, but the actual scripture has not always been in the hands of individual people. Um, and so I think it's important to think through a little bit of church history and how we got to the point where we actually have a Bible that we can hold and read anytime we want to. That wasn't always the case. Um, for a long time, um, the scripture was held um, by the church and it was taught uh, to the people, but the people didn't have um, actually the ability to read it themselves, sometimes because they weren't able to read for a long period of time. Um, but then there became a time where uh, there was a movement and a push to get the Bible translated into native tongues. Um, so John Wycliffe, back in the 1300s, uh, he was the first one to translate the Bible into English. And he, uh, when he did, he started to realize that there were some things that the church was doing that were not correct. Uh, and they realized the church and the in the influence of the church in the in the um, political sphere 
created a lot of issues for, for the, these folks because they saw when people start reading the Bible for themselves, they start to question some of this made-up authority and this, these powers that we've created and this, this uh, magisterium relationship with political um, realities. And these, these men paid for their translation of the Bible and uh, some of the other things with their lives. So if you were a heretic, if you were labeled as a heretic in those times, you were killed. Um, and so Wycliffe in 1300s translated the Bible into English. Tyndale in the 1400s into the 1500s. He was the first one to translate the Bible into English directly from Hebrew and Greek. And this was post, uh, so he knew seven languages and this was post uh, printing press. So he was able to um, print the Bible and smuggle the Bible back into England and, and the United Kingdom. It was kind of, I read a book a, a few years ago on, on Tyndale and it was kind of a biography, but a little bit more into like the details of it, uh, of how he did the translation. Um, but he escaped England uh, and went to, I think, Germany, where it was a little bit more acceptable, translated the Bible, and as he was translating books of the Bible, he was printing them and smuggling them back into England. And so he became, he was kind of like a, a Bible smuggler, you know, like we talk about that today with, with China and how, you know, in different countries that are against uh, Christianity. Yeah. So I guess the way you're talking about kind of makes me think like we were talking about on Tuesday where the Catholic Church had full authority yeah. over the Bible, right? Because they could only speak Latin. Yep. The priest kind of interpreted it. And so it was like the canons closed, yes, but then people automatically was like, well, Jesus is the great high priest, but we're going to kind of keep this layer in place yeah. so that we can control the message, which... It is why the Catholic Church got so powerful because mm -hmm. people have an inherent desire, the natural revelation of wanting to be connected to God. Sure. Right? Then the church was like, oh, look, you got to come through us. Yep. So they got a massive amount of power because we were like, oh, let's do that. Yeah, power and money. And, right? and I mean, but then the, it's like the technology of the printing press and then the ability to translate. Yeah. It's kind of like it's getting like, we're not changing the Bible, but we're kind of forcing it back around to it's available to everybody. Sure. Which is what. Let me tell you what it means. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's a power and authority in interpretation. And it's why Rome now would say that, that scripture and tradition are on equal footing, like we talked about on Tuesday. Right. Um, because there is a there is this and the corruption that was occurring in the dark ages was tremendous. And the lay the lay people, a lot of them didn't like in England, nobody knew Latin or Greek. So when you were reading the Bible in a in a mass, you were the people didn't understand anything that was being said because it was, it was being, you know, it was not spoken in their native tongue. And so it became more of a religious thing than a, than a relationship. It was more like, oh, I got to go to mass because they tell me I have to go to mass, however, and I have to do the Eucharist and all this stuff, but I'm not really understanding or learning anything. And so that's where Wycliffe and Tyndale and others, um, Huss, John Huss, uh, all those folks kind of set this up. So there was a kindling of the Reformation that was set in place because of that. And it all was surrounding scripture. It was the idea that scripture needed to be in the hands of people. And obviously there's a ditch we can fall in there. And we've talked a little bit about that with interpretation and, 
uh, you know, lay people interpreting scripture incorrectly and things like that. Um, but getting the Bible into people's hands in their native language was what started the Reformation. I mean, that was what Luther did first. He translated the Bible into German um, so that the folks could have that. And so when we think about scripture and, and you know, I'm excited about this class and, and all the different ways that we're going to think about it, we are standing on the, the literal sacrifices of these men and, and what God has orchestrated in history. So God has orchestrated the ability for the ability for those folks to be able to translate the Bible into English, the Protestant Reformation, and, and that's, those, that's the tradition that we stand on. Um, it, it helps you understand how, how important Scripture actually is. These guys were willing to die, and they did die, because um, they were trying to put Scripture into the hands of the people, right? Wycliffe was burned at the stake, or he was uh, hung, and then 20 years after he died, they called him a heretic in a council, dug up his body and burned him at the stake again, right? I mean, and then uh, Tyndale was burnt at the stake as well. And not necessarily for the Bible translation component, but when they translated the Bible, they were like, what you're doing is not right. Like your interpretation, the, the way that you have uh, taken scripture is, is incorrect. Um, and so I think that should impact, I think church history is really fascinating, but I, that should impact how seriously we take scripture. Even though it, it seems like, well, we, have, we can order a Bible. I just ordered a Bible for the youth group and it came in literally a day. Like we can get access to the scripture. We can pull it up on the internet. Um, we have so much access to it. And I think we are in the position of often taking it for granted. And so I think this class will help us hopefully um, renew a sense of awe of what scripture is, um, but also um, realize that, th that we are standing in a tradition where this is the thing. This is what we, this is, this is, the scripture is, is everything for us. So. Any additional thoughts? We've got a few more minutes before we're supposed to close. Ten more minutes. Yes. I was just thinking um, about the spiritual battle and how, you know, our enemy has not changed from the beginning of mm -hmm. Genesis where he said, has God really said? You yeah. Know, challenge the word of God. And so it's just not very creative. You know, the same tactic over and over and over in different ways and different mm -hmm. times, but always challenging and undermining what God has said. Sure. And that's where we begin to drift and stray, and that's how he attacks, you know. Mm-hmm. It works. Yeah, it, it has works. worked, right? There's yeah. So many, every sorry, time. It's human every time. time to want yeah. to have that authority of God, right? And it's from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So. I, and, and that statement in the confession where it says to preserve and propagate the truth better and to establish and comfort the church with greater certainty against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan in the world, the Lord put his revelation completely in writing. So he has he has revealed himself in in variety of different ways in general revelation and special revelation and then he wrote it down so that we don't have an excuse when we hear did God really say because he's revealed exactly what he said to us that's a great point I think it's fascinating when you start looking at 
okay, here we are in 2022, and there are people who believe they now have a new word or a new understanding of, of the Bible. Yeah. And we, we're even guilty of that at times, thinking, oh, we've got a new way of understanding it. And you look through the history of since it's been written, since it's been canonized, and all the way like up in the 1300s when Wycliffe does his thing and he comes against transubstantiation and he comes against the, the, the monastic, everything yeah. about the way the church was being represented to the people. And then to Tyndale, and then on to to uh, King or Martin Luther, not King. Mm -hmm. uh, it's amazing to see how easy, just like you said, we can misinterpret, we can sure. be duped into heresy, or pulling us away from the gospel, the truth of the gospel. Mm -hmm. The truth is pretty simple, but man, it's complex. Yeah. I think that's also why it's nice we did the ordinary means of grace class first because the Bible by itself with a singular person can get a yeah. little wonky, right? But then you have other ways of supporting and guiding and working together because the complexity of God can't be understood by any one of us. Yeah. But maybe if we have an architect in the conversation, he can make shed a little light on the things for us. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think I think it's not just us locking ourselves. I hope that's not part of it. That doesn't. No one comes away with that. This isn't us taking our Bible and locking ourselves in a closet and interpreting it for ourselves. The idea of of Scripture is that it's given to us, but God also has given us a lot of like the ordinary means of grace. He's also given us these amazing men that literally dedicated their lives to studying it. Right. So I mean, I lean on a lot of these words. A lot of these thoughts are Calvin writing you know the institutes when he's in his 20s i mean just the idea of of burkhoff uh the manual of christian doctrine was written to uh high school students and we're studying as 40 50 year old 30 40 50 year old men but so god has god has given us scripture but he's also given us um people he's, he's given us men to help us interpret it like we and we hold that as a, to a lower standard to a lower uh, degree than scripture obviously but I mean the confession helps clarify a lot of those big points and a lot of the smaller points that we might even disagree about right um, that idea of the clarity of scripture there's there's the saving knowledge that we should we can all understand and that's that's the simple part but eschatology and uh, you know the the intricacies of of sin and there's lots of things that are really really minute and not primary issues that the church has always had disagreement about and that is the beauty of scripture too like there's so much in there all right well i'm going to close us if we if there's no other thoughts or comments Should I, I should probably set some expectations. So the rest of the, the set the semester, the fall, the rest of the guys are going to be doing half of the lesson in Greek, all Greek. So. <laughs> Aramaic. So there's Aramaic. a second class across the hall. Yeah. What are they studying? <laughs> Think about adding and dropping. Yeah, paper we're just so. just to demonstrate <laughs> what the 1300 laity were like. I'm just kidding. All right, I'll pray for us and we can be dismissed. Father, thank you for um, this time that we've had together. Thank you for the truth of your revelation. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in ways that are um, so tangible uh, and yet so complex that we have to wrestle with them. Uh, 
We thank you for scripture. We pray that you would uh, ignite in all of us a desire uh, to interact and cherish scripture more and more. Pray for the other men that will be teaching this class, that you would give them clarity of mind, um, and that we would all benefit from a deep dive into um, what you have given us uh, in your word. We thank you again for this church, and we pray that you'd be with worship. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.